we please open um, your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's pray before we start. Lord, true as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Father, this morning, I pray that you open our eyes and mine. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. Father, help me to speak clearly and faithfully in dependence of the Spirit. In Christ, we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And you probably probably are thinking, uh, I already know this one. In fact, I have already memorized this one. But as Peter would say to his audience, uh, he says in Second Peter, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So, we're going to be looking at uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. By way of introduction, I wanted to kind of uh, um, set the stage for, for verses 1 and 2. That's all we're going to be looking at this morning. So verses 1 and 2 is really a kind of a link between uh, chapters 1 to 11 and then moving us forward. But chapter 1, and, uh, ver- I'm sorry, chapter 1 to chapter 11 is what we call the theology of, of Romans, the theology of Romans. And then chapter 12 starts, th- starts introducing us to the practical side of what Paul has been talking about oh, from Romans chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. So it's, it really serves as an introduction and it helps us uh, understand the rest of the chapter or the rest of the book of Romans. Without, uh, without chapter 12, or even, in fact, without chapter 1 and 2, it could be a, some kind of a disconnect. So, we're going to be talking about the, the concept of worship. What's worship? What, well, what are some of the elements in worship? What do we find in worship? Because, um, obviously, we, we were, we're living in a time in which we, there's so much confusion regarding worship. Everybody has their own idea of what worship is. Uh, but no one looks towards Scripture. So the concept of worship is important to understand since our minds tend to move um, towards, for example, if I ask you, what's worship? What is worship? And you start thinking, well, that's the time when we come to church, we read Scripture, we pray, we do all these things, um, and then we go home, and that's, that's our worship, right? But uh, Romans chapter 12 is really, um, as you read chapter 12, even though we're only going to be looking at verses 1 and 2, it's really going to be talking about uh, our worship not only in the church, but our worship here in the church, our worship, personal worship, um, even worship outside of the church. Because even how we treat others is part of our worship, as we will see this morning. So, worship is inside the church church, outside of the church, <clears throat> so, and, and this is, uh, as, uh, when you go home, uh, this, uh, I guess when you're home today, continue reading chapter 12 of Romans, 
But we, only, we are only going to be focusing on verses 1 and 2. So, this is very crucial for us to understand. It will guide us. Romans chapter 12 uh, will guide us. It will help us become better worshipers of God. Now, uh, some of us might be thinking, right, but, you know, I don't live a perfect life. I don't live a... Uh, I'm not that righteous. Uh, I, I, I always fail. And it, don't we all? We all stumble. We all stumble in many areas, in many ways. <clears throat> but it is a, goal, uh, a good goal for us to have uh, here. In Romans 12, is, is, is one of those things that help us understand what's worship. What is worship? So this morning we're going to be looking at five elements of worship. Five elements of worship. And this is where we're going this morning. What is true worship? And we're going to be looking at its mandate, its motivation, its demands, the manner of worship, and the purpose of worship. So, for those who like outlines, there you have it. So, so the first thing we're going to see, let's read uh, Romans verses, um, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, or I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. <clears throat> so the first thing we want to see, the first element of worship, we want to see its mandate. The mandate says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, some of the verses says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. Well, interesting that it's, it's a command, but it's in form, it's a different form of, of a command. It's an appeal. What does that mean? Well, it reminds me of Philemon 1.8, which says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. It is really an admonition with an intention to instruct, but we do it with love. That's what Paul is saying. He tells, in the book of Philemon, he tells, I have the power to order you, but instead I will appeal to you. I'm a, I want to appeal to you. The ammunition is not meant to punish someone verbally and making them feel horrible or bad. But it is not optional. It is, a, it is a form of command that is saying, in love, I appeal to you. And, and, and from, this, uh, from Paul's perspective, Paul's expecting them to react, or uh, um, the audience to react, according to uh, uh, Paul's admonition here. So recipients know that in love, he's making that appeal, but any violation of that command would be a viola- violation of God's law, God's instruction, because it, it's, it's authority. It's, it's, a, it's an appeal to them. And then we have here, interesting, says, I appeal to you, therefore. Um, and what is the therefore? There, right? We always know. It really is saying in view of what we have been talking about in verses 
I'm sorry, in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, in view of this, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, I appeal to you. In, 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 um, interesting here, we want to see something that uh, there's an emphasis here when it says, I appeal to you, I beseech you. Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, why is this so important? Why is brethren, why is brothers and sisters in Christ so important? Well, Paul cannot give uh, a divine command to those who don't know God. He cannot appeal to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 reminds us of this. It says, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. So, someone who doesn't belong to God cannot understand that appeal, cannot understand that admonition coming from Paul. So, this, so that's how we know that this chapter, and in fact this book of Romans, is addressed to a church. right? By referring them to brethren, Paul reminds them of their relationship as well. Relationship between him and each other. And the relationship between him and, the, and, and God. Brethren, you who belong to God, <laughs> I appeal to you in view of what, ha- what I have been talking about in chapters 1 all the way to chapter 11. The command can only be given to the people of God. Therefore, submission to this command is crucial and very important. And he, there's no option. The submission to the submission to the, to the command, command must be seriously. We must seriously take this in consideration. In other words, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, and this what introduce will introduce us to the motivation or the basis of worship. What what is the basis of worship? It says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God." That is our our our, our motivation. That is the basis. Of our worship. What are the mercies of God? Paul, what are you talking about? What mercies? Well, if we go back, remember, we go back, Paul begins to talk about justification. And what is that fancy word? What's justification? Well, it is the removal of sins from us. God removes my sin, your sin, throws it out and puts Christ's righteousness. So that when we, be, when we come in front of him, when we can stand in front of him, we are just. We're just not because of our works. We're just because of Christ's righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness imputed in us. So therefore, he says, by the mercies of God, talk about justification, those chapters. Then and in Romans chapter 8, we talk about election. Life in the Spirit. The grace of God. Salvation and divine sonship. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And this is, this is a great passage for us to keep in mind. Verse 14. Chapter 8, verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So God's children, we know we're children of God because the Spirit of God is telling us. So all this salvation, justification, all things Paul has in mind when he says, therefore, by the mercies of God. These are the mercies of God. Salvation, election. That's our motivation, by the mercies of God. Paul wants believers to see what the Lord has done for us and having that in mind, that becomes our motivation for giving God true worship. The next thing we want to see is the, um, the manner of worship. Having understand that we are uh, the admonition, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, and the motivation by the mercies of God. In view of this, it says right here, present your bodies a living, holy, accept, uh, I'm sorry, a body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And that is the manner of worship. That is the manner of worship. Present your body, says the ESV, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and the American Standard says your body's living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God to present your body a living, holy. Well, what is that about? Uh, well, the different versions put, you know, the adjectives in you know, different places here. But the, re- the reality is, what, what, what's the idea behind living? So to help us understand, we can always look towards uh, the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6, let's go to Romans chapter 6. If you follow here, the Paul's train of thought. If this is a theological thing Paul has in mind. It's a living sacrifice, right? What's living, Paul? Help me understand what's living. Romans 6, verse, verse 4. says, Therefore we're buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Jump to verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Chapter 8, verse 13. For if, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. But by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's the theological theme Paul has in mind. This living, uh, a living sacrifice for God. It, it is our our worship, our manner of worship, holy, separated. Now we know that Christians we don't offer sacrifice or animal sacrifices, right? But we offer we offer spiritual sacrifices. The imagery here will be uh, you know known to the original audience. This would be very familiar with them. 
in that the, even though Christians are not sacrificing, even in the first century, they will understand that a complete surrender of their lives is in view here. We are to give ourselves to God, a living sacrifice, alive to God, alive, not in de- not, uh, de- in, de- in dead works. We read in the Old Testament how the priests who bring or present the animal before the Lord. And this animal had to be perfect without any blemish. But Peter applies this idea of sacrifice. He applies that to the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 reminds us of that as well. It says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Not only are we seen as a holy priesthood, but we are, we are also seen as, as the sacrifice itself. And not just any sacrifice. What is Paul saying? A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. The idea behind this term, once again, is that we continue to live our lives with the capacity to produce the right results until we die. For producing right results until we die. In other words, we are effective Christians. We're living. We're living sacrifice to God. And until that day we die, we continue to be offering ourselves to Him. Next thing is it's the holy sacrifice. It's holy. Not only is living, but it's also holy. Well, that you know, we are familiar with that term. What's what's it mean? Holy. It's separated. Separated. And the Old Testament had the the idea of uh, this holy, uh, either a person or a thing, was separated from the common, and separated for God's service. That was meant by holy, a, a complete separation from the mundane, from the common, into the service. Of God, it is the manner we are set. It is the manner in which we are set apart for God, for His service. We're living, we're holy, apart from from the world, and and, and it needs to be also acceptable. It says right here, it's acceptable. We don't. The priest could not bring any uh, animal that had any defects. Everything had to be perfect, prescribed by God. God said, "This is the way you approach God." Everyone was had to be obedient on how to bring that uh, sacrifice. It was acceptable. If the if the animal had any blemish, was not acceptable. In fact, you get in trouble with God for bringing something, for bringing a defect into a defective animal into His presence. So we are to be. Let's go back to Romans chapter twelve. We are to be uh, present ourselves a living. Right? Holy and acceptable to God. And this is our reasonable service. This it means intelligent service. A service that our worship is intelligent. Logic. It's logical. Our manner of worship is intelligent because it involves our mind. It involves our heart. It is not just an emotional expression or an emotion. Now we can weep and we can raise our hands and we can 
you know, other things. But those things are prompted because it is an intelligent worship. It's not just emotional. It, it involves our mind. It involves our heart. And it involves our minds. If our service is rational, it's a rational one, and then it involves everything about us, heart, mind, actions, then we have an order, uh, what we call an order of service, right? Uh, but if it is disorderly church service, then it is what? An irrational service. And that's what Paul is, is saying. It is an irrational. It doesn't make any sense, Right? We might not be very expressive, but our, if, if, it is, if we have half dedication towards God, if our life is half dedicated, then it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. You're bringing something to the altar that is, has defects. So what is the rational intelligent worship? Well, it is a living sacrifice. It is a holy. It is separated from this. It is acceptable. That is a rational uh, that is rational worship. That is the manner in which we approach God. So we have seen the mandate, right? The mandate is, I beseech you, brethren, the motivation on the, by the mercies of God. And the manner is, we come holy, a living sacrifice acceptable to God. And then the next thing we want to see is the, um, the demands of worship, the demand of worship. That's verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a very interesting. Um, there are two parts to this, to this verse. Do not be conformed. It's a command, right? But be transformed. It's a passive verb. Who's doing all the work in you? Right? Now, interesting, we cannot, uh, the world here means the age. We're, what we're talking about here is the, the, this age that sin dominated, death-producing world that we all are exposed to, right? But then it says, here it says, um, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, mold it, but need to be transformed. One is active. An active verb, meaning you, can, you cannot be conformed to this world, but be transformed, passive, the work uh, by, the, by the Spirit. Now, I was working, um, when, I, when I was a lot younger, I would say when I, um, after I left the service, I went into school. And then after school, I ended up in this engineering firm, which was a metal stamping firm. Metal stamping, basically what it is, we built these huge metal uh, things that it, it, you put those in the press and then, you, you know, you, you form parts. You put a metal, a uh, piece of metal, um, in, in fact, it's somewhat thin, sheet of metal in one end, and by, by, by the time you get to the other end, it's a part. And so <clears throat> I was part of this, you know, I was part of the design team, which uh, we had to, the, you know, the whole die itself. Um, all, all the whole, I guess, the whole press. It, it had sections. You know, they had what you call them sections. And each section was more, will, will form the part, right? If we want this part, if you want this, 
we have to design it so that when we, we start with the sheet of metal, part one or section one will form it to a certain point, right? And then the second station will form it again and so on and so on until you, find, until you have a part. Well, this is what happens with us, right? It is with either in, in the world's press or God's press. So we start as cute, you know, babies, little sinners, right? We start there, and then through as we progress through life, we we're being molded, stamped, and what's 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 going to be coming? What's going to come on the other side of that press, right? And that's what I started thinking. And where do we see this in Scripture? Um, we see this in Galatians chapter. Uh, chapter 5 gives us an insight of someone being shaped and molded by the world. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes. So this person is being molded. And here we, here's the results of that mold, of that molding. The world molds this person, and now it comes all those sins. So that's, that's, what we, that's what it's being produced. The contrast is walking in the Spirit, right? And here's God's press. Right? When you are in God's press, this is what comes out. As, as, as light molds us, uh, as God molds us through life, this is what comes out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self, self-control. We see in Galatians the results of one whose mind has not been transformed by the world. I'm sorry, whose mind has been not transformed by the word of God, but by the world. And then in Galatians tells us the life in the spirit and the life apart from the spirit. And that's how I started thinking as I, um, when I started thinking about uh, this company where I was working with. It, it, it slowly molds, it doesn't create the part at once has stations, and each station molds one part. I mean, it molds, it creates a shape, then another one, then another one. And so we have um, a part there. So it says, do not be conformed. This section points to the need of constant rejection of this age and the constant transformation. As I mentioned to you before, we also know that we can't, accomplish anything without the power of God. That's why it says, be transformed. It's a passive word, which it points to the work of the Spirit. And that's, that's the demands of worship. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, it's the Spirit working in you and us to create a beautiful part. Right? Someone that reflects Christ, not the world. So that's that's what he's saying. You be, we're being molded. The last thing we want to see, well, not only do we see the, right, um, we see the demands of worship, but we also see, the, well, what's the purpose behind all this, right? What's the purpose behind the admonition, and, and what's the purpose behind the uh, um, Paul? Wanted me, wanted me to understand the mercies of God. Right? 
and, and he's telling me that that my my sacrifice when I come to him it must be living and holy and acceptable. That's good worship according to Paul. But what, what's the purpose behind all this? Verse two. So that or that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. Here's a purpose that comes with results. A purpose with results, right? The purpose of worship. So that you may prove. Okay? So you telling me, Paul, if I understand this, if, if, if I accept your appeal, Paul, if I, if I understand what God has done for me, and I accept that, what God has done for me, election and, and everything, my salvation, and then I come before God as a living sacrifice. This becomes acceptable, right, Paul? Paul's saying, yeah, it is. And, and then, uh, Paul, and I'm, and I'm going to reject this world, this age, and I'm going to renew my mind be, by, you know, by the renewing of the Spirit. Paul's saying, yes. So why is that going to, where's that going to go? And that's where the purpose comes in, the purpose of worship. So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Then you will be able to test and approve, says other versions of the Bible. When our mind is transformed by the word of God, our thinking, our thinking ability, our moral reasoning, spiritual understanding are able to assess everything in life. Hmm, so I, if I give my proper worship, are you saying I'll be a smart guy? <laughs> uh, spiritual smart guy. We become wiser as we grow in knowledge, right? We become better in tune with reality. We become better in discerning difficult matters, difficult times in our lives. We become better from determining what is bad doctrine good from good doctrine. We're to adjust our thinking about everything that is in accordance to our new life in the Spirit. Remember, we're a living sacrifice. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, right? dwell on these things. But how can we tell whatever is honorable? How can I tell if something is just or pure or lovely? How do I do that? How do I do that? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. When our minds are not being transformed as believers, then our old sinful patterns begins to creep in. Our old sinful patterns starts grabbing us by the neck again. We start showing the deeds of the flesh, something we saw. So being being transformed, so part of being transformed is the ability to accept that which comes from God, which is His perfect will. Okay? We're able to discern this is from God, this is not from God. This is the will of God. This is not the will of God. But in order to, to do that, 
I've got to make sure that I understand Paul's ammunition, right? He's, uh, he's appealing to me that I need to understand what God has done for me, his mercies. And I must be willing to give myself as a living, holy sacrifice, which is in turn an intelligent service towards God. And Paul says, do not be conformed, which I need to reject anything you know, that the world's teaching me, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Then, when after everything is done and said, then I'll be able to understand God's perfect will. One commentator says, victory over the world is gained by the, deliver- by the believer renewing his mind more and more. The believer must focus his mind upon God and the things of God, he says. Then we'll be, we'll be praying like the psalmist in Psalm 40. I delight to do your will, O God, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. So here are the elements of worship. It's a mandate. I urge you. I appeal to you, says Paul. And Paul, what's my motivation, Paul? By the mercies of God. Please understand what the Lord has done for you. This is why it took Paul, well, in his mind, it was in 11 chapters. <laughs> we created those chapters. But Paul is talking from all the way to chapter 1, all the way to chapter 11. Everything that the Lord has done for us. Right? He's saying, those, those are the mercies of God. And, and then we, we get to understand the manner of worship, how we approach God. And the demands of worship can be conformed to this world so that we can prove that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. The worship, I think, has become very external. In fact, we have lots of sense of awe in our in our uh, world today. We have, if we just read uh, things written from the reformers in the Puritan era, we'll understand that we have so far fall far from from uh, uh, a strong spiritual uh, spiritual things that they had in those there in those days. Maurice Roberts, who is a pastor in the Free Church of Scotland, that says, perhaps the greatest disservice done to the Christian religion in the past hundred years by the churches in the Western world has been to trivialize it. Nothing is important anymore. There is no sense of, oh, I don't understand what worship is. Worship is just something we do. We show up at church and this is, voila, you know, we're done with our worship. But according to Acts chapter 2 and 5, the early church had a, an attitude to God. And that this attitude was, was characterized by reverence, by fear. So in their worship, it would lead up the unbeliever, those who don't know God, to follow his face and worship and repent. Unfortunately, now churches are in competition of who entertains the best. And who draws the biggest numbers. But our worship starts with us, and it reflects in our church. It reflects how we treat others outside of a church. It reflects the everyday life, the everyday life. Let's pray. Father, we know we have 
we have sinned times without number. We know we have neglected to seek you daily with our hearts. Father, deliver us from every evil habit, from former sins creeping in, from anything that will prevent me from delighting in you. Without your restraining rod, we fail, or I fail, and I go astray. Direct my path. Direct our path as a church so that we may, so we don't fall into Satan's traps or our own sinful patterns. Father, in view of what you have done for us, our desires to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. May our worship involve our minds and hearts. May you continue to transform our minds until we die. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.